All right, I'll recite a scriptural blessing over the reading of the word. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. The word of the Lord is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow of the heart and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. She, meaning the word, is a tree of life to them that laid hold upon her, and happy is every one that retaineth her. All right, so the title of my message today, we sung the song, Are You Washed in the Blood? And we've heard the saying that blood is thicker than water, and it's usually said in reference to, you know, be loyal to your family, right? You know, blood is thicker than water. You, you be loyal to your family more so than your friends, because they're not blood. They're not related. So we are family by blood. I mean, we may not be biologically related, I mean, at least very, you know, immediately or closely, but, uh, you know, we're all sons and daughters of Noah. You know, Noah had three sons, and we all came from one of those sons, Shem, Ham, or Japheth. But even better than that, blood is thicker than water. We are bound together by the blood of Christ. We are made family by the blood of Christ. We have been adopted into his family, so blood is thicker than water. And I've said this, you've heard me say it a hundred times, and I'll say it again. But sometimes I feel closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ than I do my own biological family. I mean, I love, I, I love my relatives and, and things, but sometimes I, I have a, a deeper, more intimate relationship with you guys than I do some of my own cousins and, and siblings and whatnot. Uh, so today's Torah portion is taken from Genesis chapter 12, but we're going to be in Acts chapter 7. So go ahead and turn there, Acts chapter 7. But the Torah portion is called Lech Lecha. So remember uh, Pee Wee Herman, Mecca Lecha High, Mecca High? That's what it reminds me of. <laughs> Lech Lecha. And it means get yourself out. And it's taken from Genesis chapter 12 and going all the way to chapter 17, verse 27. So uh, we're going to start in Acts chapter 7. And we're going to read the first three verses. And then we're going to re refer back to our Torah portion. What I've been trying to do is use the New Testament, the Brit Chadesha, the Renewed Covenant, as a springboard for our Torah portions to show you there is a deep connection between these you know, two volumes of books. And actually, the Bible is one book. And it was just some guy who coined the term Old Testament and New Testament and divided the Word of God. But really, in the beginning, it was never divided. It's one whole book. And there's a theme that runs through it, through it all. So in Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then the Kohen Hagadol, that's Hebrew word for the high priest, the Kohen Hagadol said, Are these things so? Stephen declared, Brothers and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. He said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come here to the land that I will show you. That verse that Stephen is quoting, and we know that Stephen ended up becoming a martyr. He died for the name and the cause and the gospel of Messiah Yeshua. So this was before he died, and he spoke boldly and unashamedly. And he quoted uh, Genesis 12.1. Leave your country and your relatives and come here to a land that I will show you. This was the, the, the first Abrahamic call, and he, God called Abraham to do something very radical. Because back then, your whole life, your whole society was ingrained in your country, in your family, in your tribe, in your religion. 
If you didn't have any of that, you were nothing. It's as if you didn't exist. And here God is calling Abraham to sever himself from all of that, from every bit of that. And that's a pretty scary thing because country, citizenship, family, tribe, religion, it's all comforting because it's all familiar. It's, it's all that we know. And here God says, no, just throw it all away. Just lay it aside and chase after me. Now, we're all children of Abraham, those of us that believe in Messiah Yeshua. Remember that childhood song in Sunday school? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And it goes on, you know, and you got motions to it and everything. But we are all, all children of Abraham through faith in Messiah Yeshua. So what God told our forefather Abraham to do, he's telling us to do the exact same thing. The first thing that he told Abraham is to leave your country. Leave your country. Now, I'm not saying that we should all like pack up and go to Guatemala or, you know, some other country. But he told him to leave his country, Ur of the Chaldees. So it says, leave your country. This word country is the Hebrew word Eretz, and it means land means country or land. And so we see a pattern emerge from the scriptures. So after all, God told Adam and Eve to leave the garden. He told Adam and Eve to leave their land to a place that God would show them. So they left the Garden of Eden, and according to Genesis 3.23, they left and went to east of Eden, uh, where they were, where Adam was originally formed. East of Eden. But east of Eden, where is that? That what direction is that? East. It's the direction of the sunrise. Sunrise always represents hope. You know, when it's night and it's dark, it's scary, it's unknown, a lot of bad things happen at night. But when the sun comes up, you can kind of breathe a sigh of relief because, oh, the night is over and now we can see again and there's the light of the day. The sun is a symbol of hope and rising in the east is a symbol of hope. He told Adam and Eve, even though you fell, even though you don't deserve to live in this garden anymore, I'm going to send you to a land of hope. It's not over for you. There's still hope. I'm sending you east. God told Noah to leave his land and enter into the ark, the ark of safety. And we can find that in Genesis 7, 13 through 16. And he was sending Noah to a new land. He's leaving the old land and he's going to uh, exit the ark in a new land, a world that has been cleansed from sin, a clean slate, a fresh start. So there, a symbol of hope. And that hope is found when the dove came back with the olive leaf in its mouth, in its beak. Because it's like, hope. Oh, things are growing again. Things are coming alive again. Now, in Genesis 12, 1, God tells Abraham to leave his land, to leave his country. And in, in the Exodus, God told Moses and the children of Israel to leave Egypt, Exodus chapter 12. Where were they headed? They were on their way to the promised land, a land of promise. When you hear that word promise, you think, oh, there's hope. There's something there that I don't have. There's something there that I need, something better than here. And in Jeremiah 51:45 in the New Living Translation, it says, come out, my people, from Babylon. Save yourselves. Babylon has always been a symbol of the world. It's always been a symbol of rebellion against God, a symbol of the world system. First showed up in the time of Nimrod when he built the Tower of Babel. That's where it kind of all started. And from there, Babylon just became a symbol of rebellion against God, a, a, a symbol of, of worldliness and ungodliness. So the land represents a cursed place, a place that is no longer any of use to us. 
a place that can no longer sustain us and in reality will eventually kill us. The land represents our old way of life, our sinful state that we were born into, the worldly ways, the ways of the world. And it doesn't always seem logical to us to leave our land. It doesn't always seem logical to us to leave a place that we're familiar with, a place that's comfortable. You, you remember how hard I kicked against God when he said, quit your job? God, you're crazy. Why? I won't have an income. Why do you want me to quit my job? Yeah, it's a little rough and I'm, it's beating up my body, but at least I'm bringing home a paycheck. What am I gonna do? Lord said, leave. Did I listen? No, the bonehead, the stubborn, stiff-necked, the person that I am, I, oh no, I'll just go down to a couple days a week. And that's when all hell broke loose in my life and God said, you are being disobedient. You have stepped out from the umbrella of my protection and blessing and I can no longer bless you because you're out of my will. Okay, God, I get the hint. Remember 20 years ago when I told you to quit a job and you didn't? You ended up in the hospital for a week. Okay, Lord, <laughs> doesn't make sense. But obviously, Abraham had more faith than I did because he said, sure, God, I'll go. Everybody thinks I'm a nut job, but I'm going to go. Finally, I listened, and thank God I listened. And after I've listened, and I'm back under that umbrella of protection, the Lord has been blessing me in ways that I can't even describe. I've been able to minister in ways that I haven't been able to minister to uh, in years. I mean, yeah, teaching and preaching is one thing, but doing one-on-one -on -one ministry, I haven't been able to do that in years. And God is blessing as a result. So it's not always logical when you hear God to say leave, but I'm telling you, it's the best thing for you. So why do we leave? Because of logic? No, because of faith. And faith is not logical. Because faith, you're, you're believing in something you're not sure of. You know, you're believing in something that you can't see because we live by faith and not by sight, the scripture says. So in, uh, in Romans 4.3, which is actually quoting Genesis 15.6, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed, in other words, he had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was right in God's eyes when he decided to put his trust and faith in God and obey him, even though it didn't make a lick of sense. Faith is trust that results in obedience. I'm going to say that again. Faith is trust that results in obedience. His ways are not our ways. And that's because he sees the big picture. You know, we, we only see just a little portion, a little segment, because we're locked down here in this linear time that we call Earth. And God has a bird's eye view. He can see from beginning to end. He knows exactly what's going to happen, and he knows what's best for us. Uh, so uh, I'm going to read to you a passage from Hebrews chapter 11, which is known uh, in Christendom as the Hall of Faith. Not the hall of fame, but the hall of faith. So in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning with verse 8, it says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out, of, uh, go out to a place. He was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. Now that's even harder than just leaving. I don't really have a problem leaving if I know where I'm going. But if somebody tells me, leave but doesn't tell me where I'm going, uh, do I turn right? Do I turn left? What do I do? How do I know I'm going to like the place I'm going to? Where in the heck am I going in the first place? But it says he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he migrated to a land of promise, as if it were foreign, 
dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was waiting for the city that was fa- that's, who has foundations and whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham ultimately knew that there was going to be a place on this earth that his family was going to inherit. But he ultimately knew that that wasn't the end, that there was something beyond this life, something beyond this world, because it says that Abraham was waiting for a city whose foundations and architect that the builder is God. So have, have you left your land? Spiritually speaking, have you left your land, that place that is comfortable and familiar? You know you shouldn't stay. You know you shouldn't hang around. You're not really happy where you're at. Because this land is truly not our home. In First Chronicles 29.15 in the Contemporary English Version, it says, We are only foreigners living here on earth for a while, just as our ancestors were. And we will soon be gone, like a shadow that suddenly disappears. My grandma gave me a little pen, and I've got it tucked away somewhere says, my citizenship is in heaven. And I mean, my grandma didn't have much, but I treasure that little pen because it reminds me, this world is not my home. Just like that song says, this world is not my home. I'm just a traveling through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me to heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Have you ever been at somebody's house and their lifestyle was totally different from yours and you just kind of felt uncomfortable like, I shouldn't be here? (laughs) I mean, that's the way this world, every time I turn on the TV or turn on the radio or, you know, every time I turn around, I see things in this world that make me uncomfortable, that reminds me, this world is not my home. I'm in the world, but not of the world. And I can't live my life in this world because it's all a lie. It's all theater. It's all propaganda. And who is the God, lowercase g, of this world, the prince and power of the air? It's Satan. I mean, God owns this world, but who's kind of in control and kind of running the show? It's the evil one. And the Lord's going to let him think that he's running things, but eventually we know that our God is going to win. As Hebrews 11.10 says, we are looking for a city whose foundations and builder and maker is God. So what did the Gentiles have to do who were coming to faith in Messiah? We find that in Acts chapter 15, they had to leave their country. In other words, they had to leave their pagan ways. So in Acts chapter 15, we'll we'll just spend just a little bit of time there. In Acts chapter 15, starting at verse 19. So Acts chapter 15 is when Gentiles were coming into the Messianic faith. And there were some things that they had to do. Just as Abraham had to leave his land had to leave his country, had to leave the paganism that was there. So the, the, the new believers, the Gentile believers, also had to leave their world of paganism. And Acts chapter 15 was their way to make a clean break. So in Acts chapter 15, starting with verse 19, it says, Therefore I judge not. Now this is the Messianic Sanhedrin, if you will. This is the leaders of the Messianic movement, uh, the believing Jews. And it says, Therefore I judge not to trouble those from among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but to write to them. Now, he's going to lay out four laws. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, these four laws are not exhaustive. 
This wasn't all the laws that the Gentiles had to follow. This was just to get them started. And I'll, I'll, I'll show you why. It says, write to them to abstain from contamination of idols. Okay, well, that's a no-brainer because that's one of the, that's the first commandment, have no other gods before me, right? Okay, it makes sense. So um, abstain from the contamination of idols, from sexual immorality. Okay, well, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's another one of the Ten Commandments. Okay, makes sense. But what we don't know and realize in the Western world that sex was a big part of pagan worship. In order to commune with your god or goddess, you would often have sex with the priest or priestess, believe it or not. It was a form of worship. That's why God says that sex is holy within the bonds of marriage. Because we are praising God in a righteous way when we are intimate with our spouse. So abstain from idols, abstain from sexual morality, abstain from, uh, from what is strangled. Why what is strangled? Because in the Hebraic way of sacrifice, it was very humane and merciful. Jugular to jugular, slit from ear to ear, the blood rushes out, the animal passes out, it's painless because the knife is so sharp, they don't even know they're dead. It's like they fell asleep. Whereas the pagan way of sacrificing, they strangled the animal, and it suffered a great deal before it finally expired. And from blood. Because in Leviticus it says, the life of the flesh is in the blood. The purpose for the blood is to make atonement for you. So don't eat it. Don't drink it. Don't have anything to do with it. That's what the pagans do because they think they get some kind of special magical powers from blood. And they think that they get more of those powers if the animal suffers when it dies because certain things are released. So this was all about pagan worship saying, if you're going to come and worship with us, leave your, pagan, leave your country. Leave your country of paganism. And then it says, for, verse 21, for Moses, meaning the, the, the law of Moses, the five books of Moses, from ancient generations had in every city those who proclaimed him since he is read in all synagogues every Sabbath. That was basically the, the Messianic Sanhedrin's way of saying, you know what? We're not going to worry about all these other commandments right now. These are the only ones that we're going to focus on for the Gentiles because they're just making a break. They're leaving their country. They're going to learn. They're going to automatically learn about what's expected of them because they're going to be worshiping with us every Sabbath. So we're not going to worry about it right now. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, so leaving, leaving the country, I've beat that drum long enough. Moving on to the second one. So back in Acts where we began, Acts chapter 7, in verse 3, he said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come here to the land that I will show you. So the second thing was after leaving the country is leave our relatives. The word relative in the Hebrew is moledet. And it means your nativity. It means kindred. It means offspring. So who are Abraham's relatives? Abraham's relatives was Terah was his father, and Terah was a pagan idol, idol maker and an idol worshiper. Not only that, he was in the court of Nimrod. So he was in some pretty bad shady company. I mean, he was in a corrupt government because we know all about Nimrod and the Tower of Babel and what happened with that. But he was an idol maker and an idol worshiper. And see, his son was the black sheep of the family. He says, no, I don't believe in all these gods. There's only one God. And so this isn't in the Bible, but this is extra biblical text that Jews are all familiar with. And I've told this story before. There was one time where Terah had to go out, run some errands. says, Abraham, I'm going to leave you in charge of the idol shop. Keep watch on it while I'm gone. Sure, Dad, no problem. So while he was gone, Abraham took an axe 
and destroyed every single idol in that shop except one. It was the biggest one. And he put the axe in that god's, that idol's hands. So his father, Tara, came back. Oh, what am I? My goodness, what the heck happened? He says, Dad, you won't believe it. This god right here started getting jealous of these other gods, and he took an axe and just smashed them all. He says, what? Did I raise a liar for a son? How ridiculous. Are you expecting me to believe that, the, that this god, this idol, you know, smashed all these other idols? You know that they can't speak, talk, or move. He says, exactly, Dad. Why do you make them, and why do you worship them? <laughs> yeah, so quite a way to make his point, right? So Joshua chapter 24, verse 2 says, Thus saith Adonai, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers, Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. So basically we are to leave our relatives because they are infected with paganism. Not that, that we, we shouldn't love them anymore or shouldn't have any contact with them because we've got to be lights and witnesses to them, right? But we're to leave an intimate fellowship with them because we no longer have anything in common with them anymore. So, you know, as, as 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You hang around the bad crowd. You can't help it to have an influence on you, especially if you're just one person. It's different if they're hanging out with your clique, but you hang out with their clique. They're going to have a bad influence on you, whether you like it or not. You know, it's, and, and it's, so, it's so simple. Like, it's, it's amazing how we want to automatically fit in. And even though we're trying to hold a line and hold our standards, that we still fall. And this is an innocent way, but my, we only had one neighbor growing up. It was just our house and our neighbor's house. And so our neighbors were black, and they, their children were all grown and out. And their grandchildren came, and I'd play with them. I would spend all day playing with them. And you know what? By the end of the day, by the end of the day, I was talking just like they did. Yeah. Not because I was making fun of them or anything, but because they influenced me so much that I started talking like them. Now, there was a guy here from Canada that went off to Bible college and he's pastored in like Georgia. Well, he come back up here after uh, staying in Georgia for several years. And when he preached, buddy, he was preaching just like a Southern preacher. And it's like, wait, that's not your accent. Well, it was now because he spent so much time in Georgia. It had an influence on them. So, you know, it, the power of influence and who you hang around. So we're to leave our relatives. And we, so, we know that Abraham's relatives were pagans. And uh, they weren't going to be changing anytime soon. So if you'll just be patient with me, I'm going to read a few passages to kind of drive this, this point home. In Luke chapter 14, the Gospel of Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 25. Now, the, now great crowds were traveling with Yeshua, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and figure out uh, it's uh, figure out its cost to see if you have enough to finish it. Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and isn't able to finish everything, all those who begin to see it mock him, saying, this man began to build and wasn't able to finish. 
Or what of a king going to make war against another king? Won't he first sit down to consider whether he is able with 10,000 to confront the one coming against him or 20,000? If not, while the others are still far away, he sends an ambassador and asks for peace. So it is the same way whoever does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, this is one of those passages that people take out of context all the time. What? Jesus is telling us to hate our mom and dad? Well, no, you got to understand it's figurative language. In other words, we're supposed to love God and Yeshua so much that in comparison, it looks like or it seems like we hate our family. That's right. You put God first. And so that's the thrust there. So we're to leave our country. We're to leave our relatives. But we're not going to be without family. We get a new family, the family of God. There's another song. I'm singing a lot of songs today, but I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. For I'm washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. So the blood of Yeshua is thicker than human blood. And so this is what Yeshua is driving home here in Luke 14. And in Luke 9, just a few passages ahead, starting with verse uh, 50, 57. Luke 9, 57. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. But Yeshua said to him, Foxes have dens. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, I don't have a, crouch to, a couch to crash on. Are you still willing to follow me? You might be sleeping under a bridge tonight. Do you want to follow me? <laughs> so, I mean, that's a test right there. Uh, and then he said to, to another, follow me. But that one said, first, let me go bury my father. In other words, it's not that his dad just died. He's like, let me stay home with my parents until they're gone. Then I'll follow you. That's what the intent was in this, this passage here. But Yeshua said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, the spiritually dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He's like, look, there's no time to lose. You can always go back and bury your parents when they're dead. But you, 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 I mean, you're wasting time if you stay there until they're gone. If you're really serious, come and follow me. Verse 61, then another also said to him, I will follow you, master, but first let me say goodbye to those in my home. You know, it, it, but Yeshua said to him, no, no one who has put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What happened, you know, this was in, 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 in a tour portion that's coming up or, or uh, here soon. What happened when Lot's wife looked back? She turned into a pillar of salt. When she looked back after the angel said, don't look back, that showed that her heart was back in that city. There was something still there that she wanted that she left behind. And so that's kind of what Yeshua is saying here. You know, let me say goodbye to my family. No, you don't realize you're, you leave your relatives. You're leaving them behind because you have a new family now. Again, it's not saying that you don't associate with your family. You still love them. You still provide for them. You still, you know, fellowship with them, but you don't hang around them. You got a new life. And no one who has put his hand to the plow and looked back is fit for the kingdom of God. Why? Because they don't plow in a straight line. 
If you're going to plow, you've got to have your hand on the plow and looking straight ahead. If you start looking back, plow is going to start veering off and you're, you're not going to have straight rows. So it's the straight and narrow, not the wide and crooked, right? In John chapter 6, starting with verse 60. So leave your country, leave your relatives. John 6, 60. And it says, so when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard teaching. Who, who can listen to it? But Yeshua knew his disciples were murmuring. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man going back up to the place where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh is of no benefit. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Yet some of you don't trust. Yeshua knew from the beginning who were the ones who did not trust, as well as which ones who would betray him, or which one, singular, would betray him. Then he told them, For this reason I have told you, that no one can come to me unless he has been granted to him by the Father. For this, uh, from this time, many of his disciples left and quit walking with him. You know, what, you know what verse that is that I just read? Verse 66 of chapter 6. 666. From this time, many of his disciples left and quit walking with him. Yeah, it's the number of man, the number of the Antichrist. Verse 30, uh, 67, so Yeshua said to the twelve, you don't want to leave also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have trusted and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Yeshua answered, answered them, didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the adversary. Now he was speaking of Judas, Judah in Hebrew, the son of Simon of Kiriot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So our relatives represents our relatives that are stuck in ways of the land that we just left. And Yeshua's blood, as I said, is thicker than human blood. So we are to leave our land and leave our relatives. It's all symbolic. And Yeshua ties this together in a nice little bow in his prayer before he went to the cross and makes it this all balance out for us in John chapter 17, starting with verse 15. So Yeshua is praying to God the Father before he goes to the cross, and he's praying for his disciples. And he says, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. We're born of flesh and water, and then we're born of spirit. We're born, humanly speaking, into this world, but when we get born again, we're born from above, we're born of the spirit, therefore we're no longer of this world. We're no longer citizens of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in the world to come. We are in the world, but not of the world. And the reason that we're in the world is to be what that poster says, Matthew 5, 13 and 16, be salt and light. Salt is a preserver. It keeps from decay and rot. Light is, is, is a tool to guide with. So that's why we're still in the world, even though we're not of it. Why? Because we are preserving people to lead them by the, to the light. So the last passage I'm going to read is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. But to the rest I say, 
I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she agrees to live with him, he must not divorce her. So you see a lot of religions and a lot of cults saying, oh, well, you got to get rid of that person. They can't tag along if they're not going to go along with us. That's how you know you're part of a cult. Because they're not going to tell you to, you know, because God even says that what God has brought together through marriage, let no man put asunder. It doesn't matter if your spouse or your significant other is not a believer. That's not the point. You're there to be salt and light for them. So it says, if any woman has a husband who is not a believer and he agrees to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy through the wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy through her, through her husband. In other words, they're separated. We're claiming them for the Lord, that the Lord would work on their heart that hopefully eventually they'll get saved. Otherwise, you're huh? not always because we have free choice, right? We have a free will. Well, no, it's, it, no, it says that, that we're there for influence. It says they're made holy. In other words, not holy as in a religious sense, but they're separated. In other words, we're going to separate them because we're going to believe and we're going to trust and we're going to work on their heart that they're going to get saved. That doesn't mean they will because we all have a free will, right? I have a free will to choose whether I'm going to serve God or not. So your spouse has the freedom to choose, but the more they're around your positive influence and see the Christ-likeness in you, the more they're going to want that. And statistics show that if the man of the house gets saved, usually the whole household will end up getting saved because that's how important the father figure is in the family. And that's why God attacks the father in the family. That's why there's so many fatherless homes is because Satan wants to destroy the family unit. So Paul's saying that, that you're salt and light to your unbelieving spouse. Um, okay, verse, verse 15. But if the unbelievers separate, let them separate. There's that free will we were just talking about. It's their choice. Doesn't mean that they're always going to get saved, but we're hoping that. But that's what free will is all about. The brother or sister is not bound in such a case, but God has called you to peace. For how do you know, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So it's that hope and possibility that they're going to come to know the Lord. And a lot of us have unbelieving spouses, and those are on our prayer list, right? So we're going to keep praying for them. So where Abraham physically had to leave his land, physically had to leave his relatives, we're called in a spiritual sense to leave the world, to leave the land of this, this secular world, in a sense, and leave our relatives, the ones that are still caught and bound by this world, because God is taking us to a new land. And when they see our walk and see our bravery and see our difference, it's going to attract them because it's something that they haven't seen before. It's something different. It's something that they's like, they got something that I don't have and I want it. And we're so afraid to live radically because we're afraid of being rejected. I don't want to be accepted by anybody because a friend of the world is an enemy with God. I would rather be God's friend than a friend of the world. Now, it's just our fallen human nature to always want to be accepted and loved. I mean, it starts from childhood, you know, when, when you, you know, you, you don't want to be picked last on the dodgeball team. But you know you're probably going to be if you're not good at sports. And it makes you feel bad regardless. If you're not sitting at the cool kids table, you know, I mean, it hurts our feelings as young people. But I'm thankful for those times of rejection because it made me who I am today. And I realize I don't need any man's acceptance. I just need God's acceptance. That's all I need. Because I know that I'm going to be different enough that they're going to want what I have. And you know what I discovered at the end of my high school career? High school is cruel. 
I mean, you get teased and beat up and made fun of if you're different, you don't fit in, and you're a believer. And yeah, I, I got all that happened to me. But my senior year, when people said, hey, can I sign your yearbook? People that made fun of me all those four years, can I sign your yearbook? Okay. They wrote stuff in it like, you know what? I wish I was as brave as you were. Never change. Always stay the same. Or I admire that you, you stood up for what you believed in. And I'm thinking, wow. These are the ones that pushed me around, made fun of me the whole time, but yet secretly they were envious. So this rejection of the world is really down deep. They're like, man, I wish I had the backbone they did. Man, I wish I had what they did. And if you stick to your guns and you stay separated from this world and living a godly life, you don't know who you're going to influence and who you're going to draw and attract to come to come to the Father because of the way you're living, because you left your country, because you left your relatives. Because it, it's there's something more. Everybody is born with that God-shaped hole. I want something more. Something's missing in my life. We here have sat here. We found that. Doesn't mean that everything's going to be a walk in the park or a bed of roses. I mean, we have our troubles, trials, and tribulations, but they all make us stronger, right? They all make us stronger. And when people see our victorious life and overcoming our circumstances of everyday life, people say, man, how do they do it? I have to, I have to down a bottle of Jack Daniels to get through the day. Or, man, I have to pop these pills to feel normal. Or, you know, I have to, you know, have electroshock therapy or whatever. You know, they're trying all these different things to try to make their life happier. Oh, you know what? Maybe I'm not happy because I, you know, I, I don't have the latest gadget. Or maybe I'm not happy because I'm not wearing cool clothes. Or maybe I'm not happy because I need a new spouse. Or whatever. And they're just trying to fill their life with all this stuff. And each time they get something new or get something, it, it, it's exciting for the moment, and then it just wears off and wears away. But Yeshua, he's never worn away on me. It's just exciting and new every morning. Doesn't mean that I don't have down days, I do. But I always overcome them, and I don't need the things of this world in order to overcome. All right, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of your Torah. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us the boldness and bravery. If there's any part of us that's lingering in our land, if there's any part of us that's lingering with our relatives, and we haven't cut the apron strings or cut ties like we should, Lord, give us the strength and the faith and the ability to, 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 to cut those connections so that we can start following you, so that we can start walking in the footsteps of Yeshua, our Messiah, so we can start making headway to that land of promise that you've promised us. So that as we walk along, we can say, hey, join me. Hey, follow me. We can be like Jesus where he said, hey, follow me. Follow me. Because, you know, I don't know where I'm going. I just know that I'm going to where I'm going to end up is going to be better than here. And Abraham, he had such tremendous faith to leave what identified you as a person back in the ancient times. And he was willing to be a nobody so that he could be a somebody for God. So Lord, help us to be willing to be a nobody in this world so that we can be a somebody for you. 
so that by faith we can step out and leave our country and leave our relatives, symbolizing the world and symbolizing the lostness of this world. And Lord, hey, we're not traveling alone. We've got a caravan of other brothers and sisters who are traveling right along with us. How comforting is that, Lord? And Lord, I want to thank you for my family of God sitting around here right now this moment. And I ask that you just bless each and every one of them. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Bashem Yeshua Moshinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah. Amen.